Buenos dias, la gente de amistad. How you doing? Got to do Eric and I, man. We got the uh, Mexican connection. Yeah. <laughs> um, the weather is awesome. It's shorts weather. Um, I know Jesus doesn't care if I wear shorts up here, but Jennifer does. So I'm not in shorts. Um, I guess I'm like a Pharisee. We got new rules that we have to follow. <laughs> uh, I was thinking when we had... Um, Man, what a beautiful thing to see those kids up here. Uh, and I was just thinking, train a child up uh, in the way he should go, and he'll never depart from it. So what a responsibility you parents have to do that, because um, they're yours. I mean, they got nothing right now. They're completely moldable. So what you teach them uh, is what they'll know, and how you shape them is how they'll be. And then uh, for the rest of us, what an opportunity that we have to partner with them uh, and, and shape and mold and teach these babies uh, in the way that they should go, uh, that they would be arrows uh, out into the world uh, to change the world, uh, that Jesus would work through them. And um, we're in Romans 8 today. It's some really heavy lifting. Um, we talk about predestination. We're going to talk about, you know, angels and demons and all kind of crazy stuff. And I'll just tell you right now, like, it's not going to come from me. Uh, you got like, Eric and I were joking, like you got an hour to prepare because you got work and life and kids and school and ball teams and all this stuff. And uh, I was joking with him, but not joking with him. I'm like, I've had 42 years to prepare. Like it's my whole life preparing. And, and I would just encourage you that when you're, um, when you got that talk about Jesus moment um, and you're not some biblical scholar and you don't have a, a master of divinity or, or something crazy like that, uh, that you don't need it. And we're going to see today that, that he's left us evidence um, in the Bible. He's not asking you for blind faith. He's saying, hey, just believe what I've, I'm showing you I've already done. Uh, not just in the Bible, but uh, I hope, it's up to you guys, I hope we'll see that in your life and in my life too, uh, that there are ways that our lives, that we're not scripture, uh, but that have mirrored scripture, that there's evidence of God in your life and my life, uh, and that we would see that, and that he would say, hey, I've given you evidence. Just believe what I've done. You don't even have to. I'm not asking for you to do it blindly. So uh, in that Jesus conversation at work or at the ball field or at school or wherever you find yourself, uh, say, yeah, I know I'm not prepared, but uh, you said that you're the one who does it. So you've given me eight years, 15 years, 60 years experience in seeing who you are uh, so that I can have confidence just to tell people who you've been in my life and who I've read you to be in the Bible and, uh, and be encouraged in that way. Um, and so that's a great way for us to start service with the, with the little kids and, and for that to be on your mind, uh, to partner with them and, and join up in raising these kids up and then their kids at work little uh, spiritual infants, even if they look like they're 50 years old, uh, that need your love and need your attention and need the gospel. So heavy lifting. Hopefully God's going to do his thing through me and through you. Um, if not, we'll be out of here quick, and you guys can uh, do ball field, shorts weather stuff. All right. Let's pray. And let's get to work. God, uh, thank you so much uh, just for everything, for the beautiful weather, for keeping us safe uh, through the windstorm. And thank you for that windstorm that, that you might tear up some stuff and and we would realize that it's just stuff, uh, that we've got you and that's what we need. Uh, we thank you for the evidence 
uh, that you've given us through Jesus, through the Bible, these stories of the Bible that are, are not about uh, David and Samuel and Jonah and these guys, uh, but they're really about you. Uh, we thank you for the, the evidence in our lives as we've uh, seen and done things and experienced you uh, in ways that, that mirror what we read and see in the Bible. And we just ask that you would bring those life to life in us today, uh, that we would talk about it, uh, that we would have confidence uh, to tell your stories, that stories are the currency of ministry. It's, it's how we see you more clearly when we share the things that you have done. So, so work in us to give us courage and confidence to say those things out loud uh, today, uh, that, we may be, may, that we may see you clearer and trust you more and love you more and let you do your thing through us. Speak through me. Uh, bring your word to life, Father. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. All right, let's get to work. Romans 8:28. Before we get started, this is the wrong pen. Um, before we get started, uh, this whole thing with us is um, what scripture has meant something in your life. Uh, how has this, how has this impacted you? And uh, be honest with you, I didn't even know Romans 8:28 through 39 was impacting me until like seven or eight years ago. Andy did a study on it, like an in-depth. And if you think that guy talks a lot now, man, you should have been with him back then. Um, <laughs> it was like, I'm not even kidding you. What we're going to cover today in an hour uh, was about six months. About six months to cover. Uh, that is not a joke. Um, and then we went back and did like a toolbox, like a, a, a recap. That's how we started it. Um, so uh, I didn't even know that this was uh, something that had impacted me. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic church. Um, reading the Bible was not a super priority. It was very uh, external works, rituals. Uh, still learned a whole lot about Jesus there. Um, got a lot of God, got a lot of gospel. Uh, but the Bible part of it, the read and study on your own part of it, um, wasn't what it is here. Uh, and so, or when I, I started listening to Andy teach, so I go back and I start, you know, we're studying this, and I jumped in right before he started teaching this part, and I'm like, Bro, that is my whole life. <laughs> that is my life, because I had kind of a not good setup, which we'll get to uh, later, uh, when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, you struggle with things, like we say things like, why would God let this stuff happen? Like, we look around the world today, why would he let these people die? Why would he let these people suffer? You know, three years ago, tornado. Why would, why would that stuff go on and destroy our community? And we would lose people that we love and cherish. Why? The opening line, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. How can that be good? How can the bad things that happen to me and you be good? How can he work those to good? And he's, he helps explain it here. Paul helps explain it. But so for me, having lived the bad things, a lot of them, some of them my fault, um, see that turn around and like, hey, life is actually pretty good. It's not that bad. And then really not just in the uh, ritual sense, but really come to know who Jesus is and then be exposed to the word in a way that highlights it and says, see, I was doing this the whole time. You just didn't know it was me. And then to, uh, to have that about seven years ago, blew me away. And it's been one of my favorite chunks of scripture uh, ever since. And I hope uh, that you can see him in it and that in your life, the struggles that you've had or the good things, it says all things, um, that it's him in it. 
that it's his story, that he's the one working all things to the good. And those bad things that happen, if this world was the end of it all, they would be really bad things. But if what Jesus did for you and me on the cross is true, if he really lived, if he really laid down his perfect life for you, if he really is the son of God, if he really did raise from the dead, if he really is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, then it gets a whole lot better than down here, right? Because he says he's going to do that for us too. So have faith, take heart. Let's read. It's Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called... Oh, man. I'm going to start over. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's some pretty heavy stuff. So here's how I'd like to tackle it. Let's be a little bit different than we are. Uh, normally. Um, we're going to save this predestination chunk because it's a lot, uh, and we're going to move that to the end, all right? And then what I want you to look at uh, first is these questions. What should we say in response to these things? And I want you to see how uh, Paul answers these. What should we say in the response to all this heavy stuff that's really hard to understand that God picks people from you know, what this is saying before, you know, all eternity passed. Like he chose you and you and you and you and you and, and some people he didn't choose. All right. How do we respond to that? If God is for us, who can be against us? What does he say? How does he answer it? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Right. He answers it with a question, but his answer is God. God is the answer, right? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? What's the answer? It is God who justifies. We're not even talking about the devil or all this stuff that we're going to get to in a minute, right? Who is the one who condemns? No one. What's his answer? Christ Jesus is the answer, right? So when we're facing these things, condemnation, uh, separation from God, bringing a, somebody's bringing a charge against you, the answer is who? God. 
right? More than that, Jesus was raised to life. So believe me. Believe the evidence, right? When all this stuff comes against you, Jesus is the answer. God is the answer, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? All right, this is where I want to dig in. So I want you guys to answer these. We're going to go one by one, and we're going to, we're going to say from your life and your experiences, if, you're, if you have that kind of courage, or a story from the Bible that highlights one of these things where, where it wasn't possible. So uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble trouble. When's the time that trouble tried to separate you or somebody you know, love, or in the Bible from the love of Christ? Hardship, persecution, famine. So let's go through them one by one, and don't worry if you don't have one. I did some homework, um, and, and we'll look through them. So uh, give me, uh, we're going to start with the first one. Has trouble ever tried to separate you from the love of Christ, from the love of God and Jesus? Or is there an example from the Bible? This is your pleasure. Okay, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So trouble is everywhere we turn, right? And God is, he says, hey man, he reminds us, uh, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's First Timothy, right? So we're reminded what? The same thing that we just went to, that, that fear or trouble is, is around every corner. But he hasn't, he hasn't given us that spirit. Give me an example of a time that that happened. When did fear or trouble come into your life? Or where did you see that in the Bible? Like a real-life concrete example of when that happened. All right. So Eric says, uh, Moses is in some trouble. He did some stuff. Uh, he was afraid because he had murdered somebody. <laughs> so it's not, not, a, not a lot of things that you could be in less trouble for than murder. Um, and he fled. Eric, how did that story turn out? All right, so Moses murdered somebody, covered it up, found out that, that uh, he was going to be in bad shape because the word was out, so he was out of town, right? And he's just a shepherd, man. If I just hide here, maybe I can die a, a lonely old shepherd and nobody will ever know. And God is like, that will not separate you from me. And he went and got him, and he said, hey, Moses, I want you to free my people. You're going to go back to the town where you did some dumb stuff, and you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to lead my people out of slavery. So if you murdered somebody, don't worry. There's a, a real-life concrete example that God is not done with you. Right? Very good. Thank you, Eric. All right. Um, hardship. Job. Yeah, I would say Job. All right, talk to me about Job. What's Job going through? Yes. 
All right, was it Job's fault? Job's going through all kinds of stuff. Was it Job's fault? Like as we would look at it, we would say, no, that's not Job's fault. Uh, I, I hope you all know the story of Job. If you don't, Job's really got it going on. He's got some money. He's got a good family. He's got all kind of stuff. And uh, we got the devil like whispering like, man, the only reason that, that, God, that Job loves you, God, is because you gave him all this stuff. Because he's got a good life going. He's got, he's got happy wife, happy life, happy kids. He's got all kind of money. Like, this dude has got it going on. If he didn't have that stuff, he probably wouldn't love you and worship you and thank you. And so God's like, cool. Go down there and do your thing. Cause some trouble. He's not going to run away from me. And so uh, the short version of that, and I hope we get to it where, where we can teach it. Andy's talking about maybe teaching Job. Um, he does, man. The devil is a menace. And he goes down there, and basically God's rule is like you just you can't kill him. You do anything you want to to him, but don't kill him. And, and he does, and for like 38 chapters, this dude is wreaking havoc in Job's life. And it's real bad. And Job, not, not without sin, not, he's imperfect, but he is, he's trying to hold on to God. And he's saying, I don't know why, but I just, I, show up or kill me. Like, explain yourself. Like, where you at, man? And God does show up. And I don't want to spoil your Job sermon, but it turns out really, really well in the end for Job. Like, God's like, hey, I'm blessing this dude like crazy. And, and you know, while we don't, Job is a great example of how he can bless us in this life. Because at the end, he's got more money, you know, life, kids, it's, everything is awesome. Uh, livestock was a currency back then. He's got all these cows and sheep and stuff. Um, and his life is way better, way better. Um, and that happens sometimes in this life. But all that hardship, all that bad, terrible things that, that uh, Satan can do or the world can do because sin has ravaged our world, right? So all that stuff, none of it could separate Job from the love of God. And, and he blessed him in the end of his life. And, and for us, sometimes that hardship for you may last the duration of your life. Maybe that hardship for you, maybe that, that's cancer and you're not going... You're not going to overcome it, and you will die from it. But the promise is not that I will love you. God is saying, I will love you the best I can. I'm going to be the best father as long as you live on this earth. That's not the promise. It's for eternity. Like, I will love you forever. And so then the promise is this life is just the beginning. It's a, James calls it a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes right? So, and I got a feeling, based on what I've read in this book, heaven's a little bit better than the earth, and, and we're going to like that a lot more. So, very good. That's actually the one that I had in my notes. I loved it. Uh, Job, hardship, perfect. Um, persecution. Jesus and the disciples. All right, give me time. Yes, for like three years. Give me a specific example. Yeah. The run out of every town that they visited. Which time? Talk to me at a time. Any time. I'm putting you on the spot, Chris. Sorry, man. Three 
You don't want to spoke up. <laughs> you know this is how I am. I've been up here before. I would. <laughs> All right. Let's, what about the time? Okay. Run out of everywhere. All right, I'll, I'll bail you out. All right, so basically this great teacher, Jesus, who I hope you all know and love, is going town to town. He's taking his disciples. They're hanging out, and he's teaching everywhere he goes, right? Because that's his, that's his deal. Right? He's got this three-year ministry, and he's going to go to work. And there are times when uh, he's met with some big, big resistance. There are times when he's met uh, with uh, what we would call like a, a, I don't even know what we would call it. See, now I'm in your shoes because I did it to myself. (laughs) We would say, hey, man, this is like redemption weekend. What is that called? Revival. That's the word I was looking for, right? And so Jesus is speaking and all these people start following him, right? Uh, But occasionally uh, people want to throw rocks at him. They want to get him out of town. Um, we see, if we want to take just Jesus is, is out uh, on the cross and then he's up in heaven. And then the, the disciples uh, in the entire book of Acts, that's the whole book of Acts, is persecution. Right? I mean, from day one. And, and we talked about it. Um, look at how bold they are versus how uh, week we are with it. I don't mean to call you out because it's me too. call us out on it. But these guys literally would go into the temple and preach Jesus. Okay, this is a whole different religion, a whole different faith that we're teaching. Like we're saying that Jesus is the Messiah and they just show up and they're like, hey, I got, let me tell y'all something. And they tell them about Jesus. And it's like us walking into a mosque and being like, hey, Allah, the way y'all interpret all that stuff, that's cool, but let me tell you the truth. Right? That's what they're doing. So, um, yeah, I met with a little persecution. There's a guy that uh, gets stoned in Acts 7 uh, and dies. Um, and then you got this dude who writes this letter <laughs> who's there. Like, I mean, it says he, was, he, he approved of it, and he's standing. So I just always picture Paul or Saul like, got him. This is the end of Christianity. You know, because it says he approved of Stephen's murder. And then, like, the next chunk is Saul ravaged the church. And he just went to war. And everywhere they went, and I mean, I picture, I don't know how it really went down, but when I read it and try to visualize it, I picture these guys, like, hiding under the floor in basements, like, here comes Saul, and they're just trying to be quiet. Or they're in, in these upper rooms hiding, like these like Anne Frank-style addicts, you know, just trying to hide from these people. Uh, because they're coming in to kill him. And Saul's voting. Yep, dead uh, Christian. Take him out. Get him. Dead. Kill him. Hang him. Do whatever we do. Stone him. Like, get him out of here. The whole book of Acts. And then God grabs a hold of this guy and says, now nah, you're going to be my servant. You're going to be my missionary. You're going to be my vessel. Um, so I guess we got a couple of them. Uh, persecution. Uh, being the persecuted <laughs> or being the persecutor cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Because before Saul, Stephen's dead. After Saul, Stephen's killing, or uh, Paul's voting to have people killed. And neither side of persecution can separate you. We celebrate Paul as, the, as one of the greatest missionaries ever lived, maybe the greatest, right? Persecutor. Didn't separate him from God. So we'll say Paul, 
Acts, Jesus, disciples. I'm not going to spell that. All right. So sometimes you just mess up the words. You have to Google it and you're not sure how things are spelled. <laughs> All right, famine. Famine, talk to me. When did famine try to separate us from the love of God? It's an easy one. No, okay, it's fine. <laughs> you guys read the book of Genesis? You know, Israelites wandering around in the desert with nothing to eat? Manna from heaven, right? A little bit later in that book, what about uh, the, the great famine while uh, Joseph's hanging out in Egypt? What are we going to do? And I love that one. I mean, I'm not getting ahead of myself. I love that one uh, because Joseph is such a beautiful example. Now, that guy's not perfect. He's kind of messed up too. Um, but his brother sold him into slavery. Okay? Fast forward how many years. Joseph's been through some stuff. The dude's been to jail. Um, He's, he's kind of a slave, servant, goes to jail over it, um, somehow is now like the right-hand man of the, uh, of the Pharaoh, um, and now all of a sudden there's this great famine, and look who comes along but his brothers, like, hey, we need something to eat, and they come to him, and Genesis, like the end of his life, um, you know, Joseph tells his brothers, and this is Romans 8, 28, man. Um, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's, way, that's, that's you know, a thousand years before Romans 8. You tried to mess this thing up, but God is stronger than you. God wouldn't allow it. And all the bad and dumb and ugly stuff that you did, he used it to keep many people alive. That many people should be kept alive as they are today is, is the rest of Genesis 50, 20. And if we think of that in a, in a physical sense, back with famine, right, that you're physically you need food, and we let that be a mirror for a spiritual sense, and spiritually we need Jesus, if, if the famine food that, that Pharaoh had stored up, the grain, was physical sustenance, then the gospel in Jesus is the spiritual sustenance. And the parallel is that we, would just, we wouldn't be worried about food. He's going to take care of that. We need to be worried about Jesus. He's, cry, he's crying out, calling out. in a spiritual sense. Like, as for you, you know, Pharisees who killed Jesus and put him in the tomb and tried to, tried to end all this Christianity, God sending the Messiah stuff, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. That in a spiritual sense, many people would be kept alive or in a sense brought to life as they are today. We, 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 2,000 years later, we're talking about this guy. 
Pharisees, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. Is it, look, it's from the beginning. Andy's not kidding. The whole story from Genesis 1 on is about God. And he's always been telling you about Jesus. So what did I say? Famine was uh, Israelites. Jacob and sons. So we're uh, getting through this list, and so far nothing has separated us from um, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, nakedness. That's a fun one in church. (laughs) Has nakedness ever separated you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? You can use the Bible if you have an example. That's, that's it, Adam and Eve, right? Here's the beautiful thing about Adam and Eve, right? They're, they're already naked. They're just not aware of it. And then we got to go get some fruit. Now we got all this knowledge because we think we're God. We want to be like God. We got tricked by the serpent, okay? And so in a, in a sense, it feels like nakedness separates them from God, right? They're aware of their nakedness now, and they're like, we got to hide. We got to get out of here. Like, we can't let him know that we're naked, even though he already knew. It's very remedial, okay? So what does he do? He's taking his stroll through the garden, and what does he do? Hey, where y'all at? <laughs> we're supposed to start time to hang out. I don't, I don't see, and he knows what's going on, right? But he calls out to him. So you and your spiritual nakedness that are hiding from God, why? He's calling out to you, right? And then what does he do? He clothes them. <laughs> here, put on, here, have, have some of this. We're not going to do the fig leaf thing, man. Come on, come over here, you know. We've got some clothes for you. Um, and, and there's, I've heard people talk about this, and there's a, there's this beautiful way that God reveals himself to us, um, in that story, and you say, man, it, it would have been really cool if God would have just forgiven them then, and we could all still be in the garden. And you would have missed out on every bit of his grace and mercy and all the things that he shows us through this list of all these things that try to attack you and try to separate you from him. You would never know how strong he is. You would never know how merciful and gracious he is. You would never know the depth and the riches of the love of Christ. You would never know that. And so what a gracious thing for him to do to reveal that to you and allow you to suffer and see suffering so that you might know him more. Because that, I think, as I read, is the point of your suffering. It's the point of your nakedness, to know him more, to love him more. Because remember, this one's going to end. You're lucky you get about 75, 85 years, right? How long is eternity? It's infinity forward, right? You get forever with him, 10,000 years is not going to be enough to sing praises to him. Give me 10,000 more, right? You're not going to live for 10,000 years. Can you imagine singing for 10,000 years? I'm a terrible singing voice. I can't imagine him putting up with that for 10,000 years. He better give me a new one when we get there, right? But that's what he says. We're gonna, that's how it's going to be up there. So don't fear your spiritual nakedness or physical. If you had to dream where you'd get naked on the bus, you forgot your pants. I never had that one. We didn't ride the bus. All right, danger. Who went, who went through some danger? Oh, I forgot nakedness. Here we go. Give me danger. Daniel, talk to me about Daniel. 
Daniel in the lion's den. All right, so we got Daniel in the lion's den. That seems pretty dangerous. Anybody been in a lion's den before with some hungry lions? Nobody? You guys are weak. (laughs) I do it every Friday. No, I'm kidding. I've never done that, nor would I. Yeah, so Daniel, why is he in trouble? Why is he even in the lion's den? Daniel's in the lion's den for praying too much to God. And the, the king loved him. He got tricked. And so now he's because, and I don't even get this part of it, because I made this statute, I'm not allowed to break my statute, even though I'm the king and I can do whatever I want, but I'm, I'm still bound to these earthly rules, right? That I have to send my buddy Daniel, who I love, to the lion's den. And he says, hey, may your God protect you. He don't even believe in God, right? And he says, may your God protect you. Good luck. And so this dude can't sleep all night. The king. And, he, and man, first thing in the morning, he's running to the lion's den. Daniel! Guess who's, who's fine? He probably got a little lion. You know, he's petting him, petting his mane, just laying on his lap. I don't know how it went down. We don't have pictures from then. But Daniel's fine. He made it through. Why? Because he was a lion tamer? I didn't read that in the book of Daniel. Because he had a gun? <laughs> don't come near me, lion. No. Who did he have? Who was with him? God was with him. Right? So a lion, and that's, that, I, I can't imagine being in a more precarious situation than hanging out in a, a, a den full of lions with the door locked, and they're hungry. Mm-mm. That's not going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right. Uh, let's, we're going to, we'll continue on. It says, as it is written, for your sake, we face, we face death all the day long and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is actually from Psalm 44. Um, it reads, this is Psalm 44. It kind of reads like this. It, like, hey, we know that you've done some really good stuff to our people. You made us conquerors. Like, through us, you conquered these lands. And you did some, some expansion of, of, of your kingdom, our kingdom. Um, and so we don't trust our bow and our sword, but we trust you because we know that you're the one that won these battles. Um, we boast in your name continually, we, and we give thanks to you forever. That's the, that's the first part of Psalm 44. But the back part, where we talk about being sheep to be slaughtered, um, we're going through some stuff. You have rejected us. Uh, you have disgraced us. They're talking to God here. Not we have disgraced you. You have disgraced us. We're getting our butts kicked out here. Like we're dying. Every battle we, we go through, we lose. Um, you're not conquering everybody through us anymore. You deserted us. So how do they respond? We'll cry out to you because we know who you are and what you have done. Because we have a history. We have evidence back here where you did all this stuff and we know it was you. We're going to turn to you and beg you to redeem us. That's Psalm 44. That's what he's quoting there. Right? So then he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This ties back to verse 28 at the beginning. Oh, man, I'm way off. Sorry. I get in trouble for this. Andy, when we talk about 
what uh, I could have done better or differently, it's follow along on the iPad, sorry. Um, so this goes back to verse 28. Uh, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, right? So all the bad stuff that we're going through here, all the junk in your life, I mean, I don't know if any of you have been on the front line of a war and, and all your buddies been killed and all your land taken away and stuff like that, and you still had the faith to turn to God and the courage to turn to God and say, hey, like, <laughs> you're supposed to be here helping us and protecting us. You're not here, but we're going to cry out to you. I mean, think of the Israelites bagged up uh, against the Red Sea, and you got Pharaoh's army storming down on them. How many of them were like, God, you got to do something? Moses was. But the rest of them were like, Let's, where's my stuff? Maybe I'm fast enough to run. Somebody get me a horse. I'm out of here. Right? We'll find anything to rely on except God when it gets bad. And what it says is, is we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And don't miss who's doing the work here. What does it say? I am going to use this. I told Andy I wasn't going to. That in all things, God works. Who does the work? God works. It doesn't depend on you. You don't have to do it. God works for the good of those who love him. He's the one that does it. He's not asking you to do it. He's asking you to trust him to do it. And he's giving you evidence that he will do it. Not just, hey, trust me on this one, but trust me because I already have. A lot. There's a whole bunch of pages in this Bible of, of him doing stuff to four and two people, and they don't deserve it. They haven't earned it, can't earn it, and he still does it. Um, for I'm convinced that neither death, this is Paul standing on that, we're more than conquerors. You take our sin, you take the sin of others, and, and you fix whatever's broken, and you make it for our good because that's who you are. And so now his response to that, he continues on. I am convinced that neither death, I'm going to cheat for you, that's Stephen. We talked a little bit about Stephen uh, at the end of Acts 7. Um, <laughs> Stephen, man, which one of y'all is like this? Hey, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they got going on. They're killing me. And I'm, I'm, my face is like a face of an angel here. I'm Stephen, right? I just gave maybe the best history of the Hebrews to prove that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And what do I get for that? You're going to kill me. Father, forgive them. Right? Now, death can't separate you from God. And Stephen did die that day. But look what his heart said. When the love of God gets a hold of you, you love your persecutors. <laughs> you love your jailers. You love those that are mean to you, that are awful to you. Life. Who's got a good one for life? I had Elijah... Elijah, um, when he goes up and there hasn't been rain forever and he prays for rain and God's going to do the whole rain thing and he, the altar and then he's like, get a bunch of water and go ahead and put it on your offering and God's going to burn everything up. Y'all remember that story? 
right? And so comes, and they wasted all the king's water, and, and Elijah's sacrifice is good, and then the rain is coming, and Elijah's running down the hill, right? You guys know that story? And then what happens? He goes to Jezebel, and Jezebel's like, ooh, <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you like you killed my boys. Far be it from me if by tomorrow you're not dead like they're dead. All right, and Elijah, God just worked in him to, to, to whip everybody. He just saw the, the whole sacrifice deal on the top of the mountain. Clearly, God has got his back, right? What does Elijah do? He runs away. And this is Jezebel. This is not even the king. Nobody's even got a sword. She's just a bad woman. Okay, so he runs away and he says, God, I wish I was dead. That's how you respond. That's how you respond to all that stuff. Let me give you, a, let, me, let me not let uh, Elijah look so bad here. That's you and that's me. We do that. We run away. And y'all have it good, man. We live in, in 2023. When was the last time one of you were hungry and couldn't find food for three weeks? You just walk down to this little store that's in the parking lot and you can get some donuts or something, right? We got it easy. But man, if something doesn't go our way, I just wish I was dead. Especially you young kids. I know, I was, I was a seventh and eighth grader before too. Um, it, when things don't go our way, and why is that? Because we're looking at who? Us. Yeah. But what, the whole thing, how did Paul answer these questions? Look at God, Jesus. And you're you going to be fine. Elijah, maybe because he was drinking from a fire hose with all the good, cool, miracle stuff that God was doing, um, lost sight of who God was, and then he wanted to be dead because he was threatened by a little Jezebel. Uh, angels. How can an angel, this is a, I like this one, how can angels separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? So, yes, thank you. Satan, Lucifer, angel, right? The number one, I mean, we don't think of him as an angel because that's not how we define angels, but the, the Bible teaches that he was. So if he's on the list, this dude can't separate you. Who can, <laughs> right? Can Satan separate me? Nope, he's on the, the no-fly list. He can't separate us from, from God. Okay, that's the main one. And then the next one, that's all his boys. So we'll just say Satan's boys. Right? They can't do it either. They can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. The present Anybody suffer from anxiety? You worried about what's going on right now? How you gonna pay a bill? How you gonna eat? What clothes you gonna wear? If your son's gonna make the ball team? If you're gonna get a promotion? Any of that stuff going on? Yeah. So, I mean, I walk around here like I'm playing with house money and I still think about those things, right? My wife has enough anxiety for, for all of us, and really, not just her, man, her mama. I love you. Elaine, I know you're going to watch this. I love you. Worried about everything. Um, 
But Matthew, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 um, not to be anxious about anything, right? Like the, the sparrows, are you not more valuable than the birds of the air? Of course you are. They're not made in his image. You are. They don't worry about food, and they eat every day. The, the flowers of the field, are they not clothed and more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory? The king of kings, the richest king, the wisest king, had the fanciest purple robes, I'm sure. A whole lot of wives. They probably have fancy dresses too. He says he, he, the flowers don't even look like that. Or that, uh, that Solomon didn't even look like the flowers. Now, you think Jesus likes you more than these little dandelions that sprout up that we call weeds? Of course he does. He loves you. <laughs> you worry about what you're going to wear? Who cares? You got a, a father in heaven and the firstborn among many brothers interceding for you. Saying, hey, daddy, make sure they get what they need. Don't let the present mess with you or the future I'm going to put these together that's how he starts this whole thing with predestination he says I chose you and here I've given you when we get to this point all of this evidence that I choose you, that I love you, that I will not leave you. Believe me, I've done it. From all eternity past, I picked you. And I did all these really cool things. I foreknew you, knit you together in your mother's womb. I predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus I predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus because when I made you like Jesus, I was going to call you. And then because I called you, I justified you in Jesus. What work do you have to do? What do you have to be worried about? What do you have to be anxious about, either in the present or in the future? Nothing. Nothing. Powers. Uh, when I saw Powers, I thought we did a, it's so much fun for me to do this wheel of sermons. I love it. Because um, Andy's really not joking when he says he's just up here and like, he's like the whole Bible is the same thing. And you all have kind of gotten to see, we have conversations, we talk every week and uh, just how he is. And it always goes back to the same thing. And he always tells me, he's like, man, one day they're going to fire me because I literally just say the same thing every week. And, and he does. It's just dressed up in a different story or a different section of the Bible uh, that, that we are studying. So I thought Esther was a good example of powers trying to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, think about that whole story, and it's fresh on your brain, so I don't have to recap the whole thing, but like her whole little thing about being this little Jewish girl uh, hidden, and my uncle's over here, and, and we're not supposed to know that we're Jews, and then uh, they're going to have a beauty contest, and she's going to win it, and all, now everybody, all the Jews are going to die because this Haman dude is a bad dude, and he, he builds these gallows, and then boom, the queen comes in and is like, hey, uh, king, just if you can give me anything, just please uh, don't kill my people. 
the whole story is powers trying to separate the Jews from God, from the love of God, his protection. And he works it out. Evidence that he is real, that he loves you. How about height and depth? Let's go with Joseph. Pharaoh's right-hand man didn't separate him from the love of God. We talked about him uh, where he said, hey, man, God has loved me so much and rescued me so much and given me so much, and you guys tried to mess it up. But um, here, let me give you some food. Let's move our whole family out to Egypt. That's height with that kind of power. Depth, Joseph. Yeah, I can't think of like, I know I've got brothers and sisters and that sibling rivalry thing, and I've, we've got three kids, and I see it. But I seriously cannot imagine what Avery might sell, Colton. I can't imagine, like, kids selling another one into slavery. Like, can you imagine? That's got to be the lowest point of your life. Man, my brother, I just, I thought they didn't like me because I, like, took some of mom and dad's attention or, like, I abused her toothbrush or something. Like, you hate me so bad you're going to sell me into slavery? That's pretty low. And then on the heels of low, like now I'm a, I'm a slave and I'm trying to do the right thing. And um, my boss's wife is coming on to me and I'm like, hey, I can't do that. <laughs> and so I get to go to jail for that one. And I live in the basement of the jail. And these dudes come in and, and they're like, hey, we're having these crazy dreams. And I interpret the dreams and I'm like, hey, don't forget me. And then uh, they go and do their thing. And a couple years later, I've been forgotten you know, and now Pharaoh comes down. So how long was he in depth? That's a long time. And at what point for us when we're in depth are we like, all right, you're not going to do anything. I guess I will. Be still and know that I am the Lord. He's coming for you. Maybe not on, on your terms, but your terms don't matter. You're not the king of the universe. You don't have the whole story. He does, Right? So he is gracious to use how you've tried to use your terms and say, okay, even your sin, I will make you more than conquerors. Like, even your own sin and the sin against you, I'm going to flip it upside down and turn it sideways, and you'll see at the end of the story that I was really working for you, for me, my glory, the whole time. That's what he says. All right. Nor anything else in all creation. I love that Paul adds this. At the end, I've given up on writing things. Um, nor anything else in all creation. Uh, I love that he throws this in because, like, what's the silliest thing that you can think of? Craziest, out of the blue thing that you can think of out of the Bible uh, or in your life that might separate you from the love of God? Anybody got one? God. Yeah, God could separate you from the love of God. Why? He's in control. Let me push pause on that one because I've, I've got something good for that. What else? Big fish, maybe. Swallow you up. Right, why is that even in there? Just in case a big fish comes and swallows one of y'all up and takes you all the way over here and spits you out. Like, that's not going to happen to any of you. Right? I'm going to go on record and say it. Print it. That will not happen to you. Okay. <laughs> but look at all the, like all we wanted was these people that we didn't like to repent. And Jonah was like, I'm not doing it, right? And so God's like, man, I didn't want to have to do this. Fish, go get him. And he go gets him. And then what happens? Those people repent. And that's what he's mad about. Jonah's mad about it. 
but God still loved him and loved the evil people, right? Loved him so much that he would take one of his prophets, go gobble him up with a fish, and bring him there just to tell him the good news about who God is and how much he loves him. All right, uh, so God, can God separate us from the love of God? He has shown us through this list how much he loves us, how merciful he is, how gracious he is, and he is the only one that could separate us from his love. That's him. That's it. He's the only one that can do it. But because that's power. That's God's power, right? I can do this. But because he's so loving, he would never do that. He sent his only son, and this is Paul going back to the beginning. He sent... Say that one more time. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. John 6, 65. Let's look it up. Yes, yeah, so that's the beginning election. So if God has, if, if he foreknew you, if he chose, I will have mercy on whom I choose to have mercy, right? I'll pour my wrath out on who I, on who I decide I'm going to have wrath. That's him. So he's the king of kings. I'm sorry, I thought what you were saying is if God loves us, can we then be separated from the love of God? So that's how I was interpreting what you said. Let me get to that one too, predestination. I got a good story for me about that, a personal example. Ooh, we're going to run out of time. So Jesus is what binds us to the love of God, right? So whatever would separate you from the love of God would have to be stronger than Jesus' love, right? Does that make sense? You guys track with that? All right. So the only thing separating you from Jesus is your choice to not accept what he has done, to not accept his love. And we see in Exodus, to your point, God will harden people's hearts, and they won't respond to him through all kinds of really bad plagues, nine of them before he actually is like, you know what? All right, we'll see. Well, I mean, it's every one of them. He's like, okay, okay, okay. And then the 10th one, he finally gets to a breaking point where he's like, just go. And then what does he do? He changes his mind. He's got a hard heart, right? Why is his heart hard? What does it say? I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. Does that seem fair? Right? If we look at that, does it seem fair that God would say, I have hardened this person's heart, therefore he has separated me forever? What is fair is that you're all separated, me too, from him forever. See, it's not we deserve to be in heaven with him. We don't. We deserve death and punishment and eternal wrath. But if you see his grace, his love, his mercy, he does come back. And say, hey, I am showing you who I am. I am bringing some of you back to me. And it's available for everybody. Jesus' blood is powerful enough to save guys like Pharaoh with a hard heart that would never come back to him. And I don't know why he does that. I do not know that Paul ends this. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Three chapters from now. I don't understand it. But I know that what we deserve is what Jesus got. 
This is what we deserve. And he did that for you. And he did it for me. Mark says, truly I tell you, this is Mark 3, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander and utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. That is a hard thing. So what does that mean? The only thing that I won't forgive you for is not accepting my forgiveness. What if you made my heart so hard that I won't accept your forgiveness? I don't know how to answer that for you. I don't know why he does that. And you could be forgiven of anything that you can think of, any sin. You know, we talked about a bunch of them. Except not accepting forgiveness. And that is really good news. And what's even better news for me is I think, I think of Peter, who goes... And he's like, Jesus, I got your back. I'm your, I'm, your, I'm your guy. I'm with you no matter what. I'm cutting people's ears off if we have to. Like, let's go to work. We're telling everybody about you. And <laughs> Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're going to deny me three times. And he does. And Jesus dies, and that's it. That's the, if you're Peter, think about it from Peter's perspective. That's the end of your relationship with Jesus. Because like, we've never seen people raised from the dead. We don't know that stuff. Like, we got the Lazarus thing going on, and we were there, but we don't know about that. Like, this is dead, dead. And there's no Jesus to bring Jesus back. And so Peter's like, man, what have I done? And then Jesus shows back up, and he's like, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Three times. Just like three denials. Do you know what good news that is for you? That you can accept Jesus and screw it up. <laughs> he still loves you. That you can accept him and not live a perfect life. And he still loves you and he still holds on to you. And he's still chasing and calling out to you. That if he has chosen you, there's nothing you can do. He's the only one that can separate you from him. And he says, I love you enough to not do that. He comes to, to sinners and wicked people. And here's the hard thing for us uh, as, as Christians who are, are called to evangelize. How do you know if that person at the water cooler has a hard heart or not? You don't. How do you know that if you share the gospel with them that they will respond to it? You don't. And they may reject you and they may be really nasty in, what, in how they say stuff to you. And there may be nothing you can do. And they may, you might lose touch with that person and in 10 or 15 years from now they come to, to faith in Jesus or they never do. And here's how I would encourage you. You, you teach, you, you, hey, let me study the Bible with you like crazy. You, you be faithful and you do your job, which is to share the good news. And you don't worry about God's job, which is to soften their heart. Because that's not your job. You can't do it. Not only is it not your job, you're not qualified and you're not capable. You are qualified to go say, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is how he loves us. Here's the evidence in, the, in world history and in my life of how he has done these things. Trust him. Here's why you should trust him. It's, it's real. This stuff really happened. And then I would say in your own life, use that.
Use your own real life examples. Paul answers some questions. You know, who, who would condemn? And the answer for each one of them is Jesus. God solves all the separation jobs, all the separation problems through himself. All the ones that we listed, God took care of it. He fixed it. It was him. They were problems. We created it or somebody else created it that were trying to pull us away from him. And he fixed it. And he left you these stories to tell. The ones from the Bible and the ones from your life. And like the beautiful thing is he gives you the faith that he requires of you. Here's the evidence. Here's the truth. This really happened. Now, believe it. There's no blind faith with him. Nobody in here has wandered around the desert for 40 years. You haven't been kicked out of your home with no food, no clothes. Cover yourself with a leaf, no plan. You hadn't been in a den of lions. You hadn't faced the wrath of a pharaoh and, or a giant in a sword. Like, so you have freedom to do everything that he's called you to do. And let me tell you, I want to talk to you about predestination in my life. Like I grew up, man, and it was a bad setup. It was a real bad setup. A uh, short version of the story. Uh, mom, pretty teenage girl, moves to L.A., meets a guy. Guy's married, has got a daughter. Um, guy takes a bet with a friend that he can get the pretty new girl to go on a date with him. Works out. That uh, one date that was supposed to be kind of a joke turns into a seven-year affair. Um, guy with his wife has a, a, another daughter. Um, we joke about being Mexican, but in Mexican culture, you better have a son. Uh, so dad decides that uh, new girl, who he's now been in a relationship with, for four years is going to give him a son. Um, they hang out for a year and a half after I was born. You can imagine how not good this setup is, right? Uh, which, by the way, Mama Gracie and Louie, my dad, are still married, have an awesome marriage, and that is a crazy, incredible miracle of God. Um, my two sisters, Veronica and Lisa, I love so much, and I'm, I'm close to them, and I have a relationship with them with, again, it's a crazy miracle of God. So I'm a year and a half uh, old, and uh, my mom goes, and she's like, hey, you got to make a decision, pal. Like, you're going to be with me, or you're going to be with her. Um, and the whole time, he was making plans, saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be with you. I'm going to leave her. I'm going to be with you. We'll have a family. We'll have a life. Um, and then it comes down to D-Day, and he's like, man, I just couldn't leave my daughters because... Like, the boy will grow up tough. The daughters, who knows what might happen to them? They may be, like, prostitutes or something. Um, and so that's it. So you got single mom, 23 years old, with a two-year-old, leaves L.A., goes home to St. Louis, meets a guy. Re super rebound set up here, right? Uh, looking for uh, somebody to help raise a kid. Marries this guy. Guy's 18. No, so he's 20 at the time. Uh, immediately joins the army. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, like physical abuse, mental abuse. It is a real bad setup for about 10 years. And I, when I say bad setup, I mean like tried to kill me. Um, like fingerprints, bruised fingerprints on the throat type stuff. Uh, aunt saves you with a frying pan and knocks him off one night. Uh, type stuff. They get a divorce. 
now um, a 13-year-old raising himself. Mom is like just trying to pick up the pieces. She's got little brother to think about too. And I, had, I was fortunate enough, we were super poor, but I was fortunate enough to be uh, in Catholic school. The church would sponsor kids from these neighborhoods and stuff, and I was lucky enough to be one of those kids. Um, and so I had heard who Jesus was, and I thought, like, yeah, I think I like the idea of Jesus. Um, and so I'm at my grandfather's, which, by the way, abusive bad dude is, I think, kind of turned it around now. Still have a relationship with that guy, um, like a good one. And so I'm like 13 or 14 years old in his dad's attic. And it's just one of those prayers where it's like, I don't think you're real. I don't think you exist. Like, I, I hear this stuff every Friday when we have to go to mass at school. And like, I see you doing all these things to these other people. And they have these good lives. But mine is terrible. And man, y'all remember being 14 years old, so you know how 14-year-olds are. And I mean, it's one of them good prayers where you're like sweating, and I'm just like, hey, today is the day. You either show up or I'm going to go get mine in the world. Like, I'm going to be a rebel kid. I'm going to go get what I can get. And man, when I say he froze me up in that bed, like, I mean, it felt, you all know, got those weighted blankets that you like. I hate them probably because of this, uh, and it's like, I cannot move, and tears just start streaming down my face, and I feel like this hot oil just got thrown all over top of me and washed down my body, and the radio, it's like three o'clock in the morning, comes on, and the lyrics to the song are count on me through thick and thin, a friendship that will never end. When you are weak, I will be strong. Count on me, and it shuts off, and I'm still paralyzed. And I start sobbing. Like, you are real. I can't explain what just happened. You must be real. So I did what uh, all good 14-year-olds can do, and I put it in my back pocket, and I still lived a stupid life of rebellion for I don't know how long, 15 years. Um, but all the while, like, I felt protected through everything I would go through, every situation I'd ever be in, I felt invincible. Like, you can't, nothing the world would have to offer could take me out. Nothing. Because he said he had my back through thick and thin. You're strong. I'm weak. Whenever I'm in trouble, I know you got me. And man, when I tell you I lived it, we're not going to talk about all of them because we still got Lord's Supper and I'm getting looks. Um, (laughs) But when I tell you I went through those things and he was there. When I tell you it's, I I don't know why I'm in these situations, but I'm in a, it's a a six on one fight and I don't know how I'm getting out of this. And I do. People shooting guns. And I'm, I'm safe. And I don't know why and I don't know how, except to tell you that he told me that he had me and that I was good. And so I was mad. Why would you let me go through this life and do this and run away from you? And then I was happy because I knew that I could kind of get away with anything and he would still be there. And so he let me, man, and I went through some stuff and it was bad. And so we're back at the beginning of Romans 8. Like, I'm working all things to the good. I, God, am working all things to the good of those who love me, who've been called according to this purpose. Now, I would tell you, and people in my life would tell you, that any time before the age of like 22, I was not called. And I was. He, he says it. 
all eternity past. He foreknew me. He called me. Justified me. All that stuff. He's going to glorify me. And now I look back at the last 10 or so years of my life where I've had a chance to coach and teach and give back. And I have a language that I can speak that many of you cannot. There's a little boy on my middle school baseball team whose father did some really stupid stuff six or seven years ago, and he, he doesn't have a lot of people in his life that understand what he's going through. But I do. I'm in his life. I can tell him, hey, God is faithful. If you'll hold on for another 30 years, you might see it too, right? Yeah, we've got these, these kids around that I coach that have no fathers in their life, and it's not fair. It wasn't fair for me either. But I can say, hey, it's going to be okay. Here's real-life evidence of how he does it. I promise you that it's true. And, I, I'm, man, when I tell you I ran away from him and I fought him and I told him, I've, I've, hey, you challenged him. Even after that, I said, you are not real. You don't love me. That's not true. When I was working out the, all those growing pains of sanctification, still working them out. He's real. He loves you. He's giving you evidence in the Bible. We talked a lot about that. And if you are willing to see it, evidence in your life. You've got to be willing to see it. You've got to be willing to say, hey, I'm blind. Help me see. And he does, and he will, and he'll use it. And you can train up the next generation. You can partner with the single moms who are just doing their best or the single dads, with the orphans, with the widows, and tell those stories. And I would encourage you that if you have one that you want to share, this is how I got, first time I got a microphone in, in, in front of church people, uh, I'd had lunch with Andy, and I said, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And I told him a version of the story I told you all this morning. And he's like, man, we got to tell people. Stories are the currency of ministry. The work that God did did not end in 93 or 97 A.D. when John wrote Revelation. It's still going. It's going. It's alive and well in you. And you got to tell those stories. you got to tell them at the ball field. you got to tell them at the water cooler. Have to. All right, that's a lot. That's a long time. we got uh, Lord's Supper. I told you I was raised in Catholic Church, so if y'all want to make a line right here and just get you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, have faith take heart God is good all the time and he loves you and you don't have to get it right because it does not depend on you if you have somebody in your life who has not been called who hasn't been predestined you do not know that until you get to heaven. So tell them how much Jesus loves them and how much he has loved you. Because you only have so many chances. And when we all get to heaven, we're going to look back and say, hey man, there was a version of you that told everybody. But because you didn't, I had to let Chris tell some people and John tell some people and Rachel and Melissa tell some people. And I still got them because they were mine. But you had first crack at it. You could have told them first. 
Don't, don't miss that. Don't miss that opportunity. All right, so Jesus says, Last Supper, he's about to die. And he's talking to his boys, his disciples. And um, he, he, they're passing around the bread. And he said, hey, this is my body, which will be broken for you. This is the body of the perfect Messiah, the Son of God. And he says, I freely give it up for you. It will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Oh, that's my bad. Yeah. Don't give me a microphone. I'm going to talk too long and forget about the kids. All right. And when he was done, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant. His blood is given up for you that signifies how much God loves you, that he would sacrifice his perfect and only son. That his blood would be shed, his blood would be shed so that your soul could be saved. 2,000 years later, we're still doing it. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray. I assume you're going to sing. You're going to sing? Okay. He's a great singer. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with me. I love you all, and I hope you know and heard a little bit more about how much Jesus loves you. Please be encouraged to tell your story uh, that's not really yours. It's his. And if you think of it that way, you can't help but tell it. It's his story through your life. How fortunate are you that he chose you to tell part of who he is to the rest of the world? Father, we love you. We thank you. Uh, thank you for the promise of Romans 8, 28 uh, through 39. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for uh, the reality that you work out all things for the good of those who you have called. That you call us, that you take care of all the business. That you've predestined us, that you take care of making us like Jesus. That you sent him. That you work all this stuff out. Please give us the courage based on the evidence you've given us and the faith that you've given us to trust you, to know you, and to go forth and make disciples of all nations. Let us trust you that you will give us your power to do that work. Work in us. Be glorified through us. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.